Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Gambling can be a dangerous pastime. While you could walk away richer than you ever imagined, you can also walk away in a debt that you can't see a way out of. On February 24th, 1983, the deadliest massacre in Washington state history would take place at the infamous Wa-Me Gambling Club. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. The Louisa Hotel, which was designed in 1909 and situated on South King Street, was purchased by a man named Paul Wu in 1963. It functioned as a single-room occupancy hotel with a number of street-level spaces for shops and restaurants until a string of fires in 1970 did away with the second and third floors, and shortly after, became the spot where the Monhai Bakery, the first Chinese bakery in Seattle, would lay down its roots. While more legitimate businesses functioned on the street level, the basement held historic speakeasies dating all the way back to the 1920s. There was a separate entrance from the upstairs businesses, and the one on the eastern side was called Club Royale, and the one on the west was Blue Haven. Blue Haven always had a reputation for having a melting pot of patrons, and by the 1950s was renamed Wa Mi, meaning Beautiful China, and became known as a highly illegal, highly competitive, high-stakes gambling den. But as time went by and the gambling became much more seedy, the Wami became less of a classy speakeasy and more of a dive where winners could make tens of thousands of dollars in one night and beat cops supplemented their income by getting paid to leave the club alone. With their help, the Chinese-only members of the club, many of whom were members of the Bing Kung Tong, got to preserve their gambling history while cops turned a blind eye to their illegal practices. In 1983, a 22-year-old man named Quan Fai Mok, or Willie, had racked up several thousands of dollars in debt. Realizing there was no way he was going to be able to pay back his debt, he made a plan to rob the Wami, where he knew they would have more than enough to pay his debt stashed away. And as he formed the heist in his mind, he recruited the help of an old high school friend and co-worker, a man named Benjamin Ng. According to sources, this wasn't the first time Willie and Benjamin were involved in something nefarious. In fact, they were both suspects in the murder of two Chinese women back in July of 1982. And it was a good thing neither men had a problem taking a life, because a big part of Willie's plan involved killing any witness to their heist. 
Just before they set their plan in motion, the pair added a third partner, a man named Hua Chu Ying, or Tony, who owed Willie about $1,000. Willie offered to clear his debt if he participated in the shakedown. Tony wasn't interested in joining their plan and the day before the robbery, borrowed $1,000 to pay Willie back. Instead, he pulled out a gun and shot a bullet at his feet, threatening to kill Tony and his girlfriend and to destroy their family restaurant if he went to police. There seemed to be no way out and the plan was set in motion. On February 18, 1983, just a little bit before midnight, the three men entered the club with little to no issue. Willie and Benjamin were regulars, so it was easy for them to pass through the two-door security system that had protected the club for generations without a second glance. As they walked into the club, two of the men drew guns and ordered 10 patrons and staff members on the lower level of the club to lie down on the floor. Willie then went upstairs to the top level, gun drawn, and supervised Benjamin and Tony as they began hog-tying everyone inside of the club. Once they were secure, the men started rifling through their pockets, looking for money and valuables, while the patrons lay helpless on their stomachs. As they did this, four more patrons arrived, who were then bound and robbed along with everyone else. Wai Yak Chin, a dealer at the club, who had only just arrived for his shift when the men entered, pleaded with Tony to loosen his ropes, that he was old and would not cause any trouble. The next thing Hua Yak Chin remembers is the sound of gunfire, intense pain, and then blackness as he slipped into unconsciousness. According to Tony's later testimony, he never fired a gun, having been forced to participate in the robbery. His partners, however, couldn't say the same. Willie instructed Tony to leave once the money had been stolen, and as Tony ran into the alley, he heard the loud sounds of multiple guns firing. Wayak Chin, the sole survivor of the Wami massacre, staggered out of the club at 12.45 a.m. on February 19th and was helped by the patrons who waited outside to get into the club. Behind him were the bodies of 13 innocent people still helplessly bound, lying on their stomachs. In total, 32 shots were fired, 26 of which came from one gun. The three assailants had already fled the club, having no idea that they left behind a survivor who not only knew who they were, but was ready to go straight to the police and testify against them. He was able to give the name of the two men he knew. And in the early morning of February 19th, police went to the home of Benjamin's brother who told them where to find him. He was arrested and upon searching the home, police found $7,500 in cash, two loaded 38 caliber revolvers, an M1 rifle, and ammunition. Willie Matt called to turn himself in a few hours after finding out Benjamin had been arrested, and Tony Ng remained unidentified until a warrant for his arrest was created on March 31st after fleeing to Canada and being placed on the FBI's 10 Most Wanted Fugitives list. He was officially brought into custody in October of 1984. Benjamin and Willie were charged with 13 counts of aggravated first-degree murder and one count of first-degree assault, while Tony was charged with 13 counts of aggravated first-degree murder. Their very public separate trials began on February 24, 1983, with Benjamin Ng being the first to reach a verdict. On August 25, 1983, he was convicted of 13 counts of aggravated first-degree murder, 
after just three hours of deliberation and sentenced to 14 life sentences without the possibility of parole. A 15th life sentence was added that December in connection to an unrelated murder that occurred in 1981. Willie Mack, who attempted to argue that he only committed the murders on the command of the Hop Singh and that Benjamin was actually the shooter, received the same verdict with the added first-degree assault charge on October 6, 1983, and at the end of the month was sentenced to death. However, after a series of delays, his execution was stopped indefinitely by a federal judge before being overturned in 1991. Tony Ng was officially acquitted of murder in April of 1985 and was instead convicted of 13 counts of first-degree robbery and a single count of assault with a deadly weapon. On July 3, 1985, he was sentenced to 13 life terms, but in 1997, a federal magistrate determined that he did not receive a fair trial. So on September 6, 2006, a parole board determined that he should receive parole on one of his many robbery terms. They met again in 2009 and decided it was time to parole him fully. And on October 25, 2013, Tony Ng left the prison a free man. The following year, he was deported back to Hong Kong. After the Wami massacre, the historic and seedy club was officially closed for good and now simply serves as a spot for tour buses to stop and for photos to be taken. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on February 25th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? What are some things standing in the way of being the best version of you? For a lot of people, life, your past, and sometimes your current situation can cause roadblocks in your life. Mental health is incredibly important, and so many, including myself, can benefit from talking to a professional and working to dismantle those roadblocks. That's why I'm excited to talk to you guys about BetterHelp. BetterHelp knows no two people are the same and will help to assess your personal needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. These incredibly convenient appointments are in a safe and completely private online environment, and you can start chatting with your new therapist in under 24 hours. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. You can message with your counselor at any time and get a timely response, plus schedule weekly video or phone sessions, which means no driving to an office, no waiting rooms, and no awkward small talk. Just meaningful sessions with experts who specialize in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, family conflict, LGBTQ matters, grief, and so much more. There is truly someone there for everyone. And BetterHelp is committed to finding your perfect match. Which means if you and your counselor don't mesh for whatever reason, they make it easy and free to seek someone new if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And with financial aid available and access worldwide, they truly make it easy for anyone to seek the help they need. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash morning cup. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health.